Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There is a story for everyone here, because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the Storybooks together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. I am someone who has a very well-versed interest in human potential. I believe that all of us have the potential to do great things in this life if we so choose to do just that. And my next guest is five-time New York Times best-selling author and one of my all-time favorite guests to have on the show. In fact, I wanted to do a part two with him and who knows, maybe we might have one of those later on down the track. But his name is Greg Braden. Now, for those of you that don't know who he is, he is a Templeton Prize nominee, which I looked what that actually is. It's a pretty cool uh, award process. Uh, it's dedicated towards the discovery or research thereof of spiritual realities. So he was a 2020 Templeton Prize nominee, but he's also a best-selling author for five books. Uh, he's a scientist and he's an educator and pioneer in the emerging emerging paradigm, bridging science, social policy, and human potential. And he can help us unlock our human potential more during this conversation. But other things that we do talk about revolve around the human matrix, what that really is, which I thought was absolutely fascinating. And there was a, a, a part in this conversation where um, I used actually in my book to illustrate a very powerful point, which does which we do mention, it talks about how we are in this constant battle for in today's society, even more so now, for our very humaneness, our, the ability for us to be curious and to be human. That's what makes us who we really are. And according to Greg, we are in this battle for it. But from 1979, sorry, to 1991, Greg worked as a problem solver during times of crisis for Fortune 500 companies. He continues problem solving today as his work reveals deep insights into the new human story and how the discoveries inform the policies of everyday life and the emerging world around us. 
I think you guys are going to get a lot from this conversation. Greg is a deep thinker. And as you guys probably know, I love having deep and meaningful conversations. So please, if you do get something from it, share it around to your friends and family. Let everyone know about this one. Also, I greatly appreciate you guys before you go to leave a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts and make sure to subscribe as well before you leave. It just goes a long way in helping to spread more and more amazing stories and messages like this one to the broader community and getting it more known, really. So, my friends, you know what time it is. It is time to journey with me into this story box as we listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice, and the stories of none other than Greg Braden. It is an honor and a pleasure to be here. We don't need that bio. We can just talk about it. You know, it's it's always interesting hearing somebody talk about uh, your life, but it's the life from the past that mm-hmm. led you to, or any of us, to where we are now. And you know what's really interesting, Jay? One of the things I've found is very few people in this moment, in this present incarnation of their lives are doing what they were educated to do or what they were trained to mm. do. So I, I do have a background. I'm a scientist. I'm a degreed uh, earth scientist. I've got a strong background in, in life sciences, marine biology, molecular biology, cell biology, uh, uh, math, physics, computer science. And I worked in the corporations and all of that has helped me stay current with the new science, the new discoveries that are coming out so quickly uh, that the, the scientific publications have now resorted to weekly publications to keep their community current of the new discoveries that are just happening so quickly. Mm. And those discoveries are giving us new ways to think about ourselves, our relationship to the world, new ways to solve our problems. And, uh, and that's, I think, what we're going to talk about today. This is what, what's so exciting to me. So I don't work in the world of academia or in the corporate world any longer, although that was the, the foundation that gave me the the ability to interpret the discoveries that are, that are writing a new human story. And it's a beautiful story that's being written right now. Oh, 100%. I'm curious about your story and everything that you've, you've, you are doing. All those things that you mentioned earlier, I was not good at in school. But after I left school, I found that I had a huge fascination and curiosity by it. And having spoken to quite a lot of scientists, neurologists, and everything like that. I'm just even more curious about all these questions that I have. Mm. And upon reading up on, on your work, I'm even more fascinated by everything that you're doing. You've done molecular biology. You've done all kinds of stuff in this realm of science. One question that I want to start off with is how did you get started? Where did this fascination <clears throat> come from? Well, <laughs> so we're going to start with the easy questions first. Easy ones first, yeah. and we'll dive yeah, in. Yeah, you know, well, it's the, the hardest thing for anyone to do is to talk about themselves. And um, uh, I'll, I'll be very honest. I, I'm the product of a very dysfunctional, uh, abusive, alcoholic family. Um, my father was the abuser. Uh, my mother, my younger brother, and I took the bad end of that deal. And my refuge... Uh, during that time in my life, that from a very young age, was science and music. It was the books uh, of our past, the books of our history, and and the music of of the day. And I um, 
I knew at a very early age that I wanted to contribute to a better world in, in some way. I didn't know what that would be. Uh, I'm a, I grew up in the, uh, I went to school in the 1950s, 60s, early 70s, and um, music was blossoming and a powerful, powerful force, a political force, as well as a social force during that time. And uh, I remember the, the first concert, it was a Jefferson Airplane. I went to a Jefferson Airplane concert and I was sitting in a room, uh, at that time it was an indoor venue, about 30,000 people. And I looked around and I saw those 30,000 souls being moved by what was happening by just a couple of people on the stage. And I recognized that, but I also saw something else. When we left that concert, something was missing. People felt empty. They needed something outside of themselves to recreate the experience they just had. At that time, it was eight track tapes and, and vinyl records. They needed to have those to give them the feeling. Well, I think it's no accident. Uh, during that same period of time, I saw a man speak in an outdoor athletic stadium. His name was Billy Graham, mm. spiritual leader. And I'm not saying that I was on board with the message 100%. But what I saw was in a stadium of 70,000 people, one man had no musical instruments. And he said things to those people. And when they left, they felt different inside and they didn't need something to recreate that because his words had changed the way they thought of themselves. And that made a very powerful impression upon me as uh, at an early age. I'm still a musician. I've been a musician since I was eight. I'm still a musician. And music is, is important, but I, I think the, the ability to be honest with ourselves, Jay, about who we are and what our potential and our capabilities are really all about, that is what has driven my path from academia through the corporations as a problem solver. Uh, and, and so the way this question comes about a lot, people ask me sometimes, they say, Greg, how'd you make the quantum leap? What they perceive as a quantum leap from a world of, of problem solving for Fortune 500 companies during times of crisis, during the energy crisis, the first energy crisis in the 70s, the Cold War crisis in the 80s, the information sharing crisis in the early 90s when computers couldn't talk to one another. I worked for a company called Cisco Systems, and this is what we were doing, solving these problems. And I, I guess for me, it's, it, I never thought of it as a quantum leap. It was a logical progression of taking what I had learned and applying it to where I saw the need in the moment. Mm. And what I see right now is we are a global family. We're good people, and we live in a good world having a difficult time. Yeah. And there's a lot of hurt in the world right now. And we typically are not taught how to resolve our hurt as individuals, as families, as communities, typically. Now, there are always exceptions to that, but typically we're not. So what happens is that hurt is expressed as fear mm -hmm. of other people and fear of the unknown and as hate. And we're seeing an emergence of hate and fear that I believe stems from a, a deep hurt that often is, is not even acknowledged. I'm not saying it's a conscious thing, but there is a hurt in the world. And, and for me, the better we know ourselves, the better equipped we are to embrace our personal hurt, our personal loss, the less we fear 
change, the better we know ourselves. The better we know ourselves, the less we fear one another. But here's the, the most important thing. The better we know ourselves, the less we fear our own power. Mm. And the science is telling us we are immensely powerful biological beings with the ability to self-regulate our biology in ways that we're not taught when we're in school. We can self-regulate our immune system. You know, who doesn't want that in a, a, a global pandemic world? We can self-regulate our longevity enzymes. We all have longevity enzymes. It's not just about advanced age, but if you are living to an advanced age, it means you are healing, rejuvenating, regenerating along the way. We are the only form of life that can do these things, consciously self-regulate our biology on demand. Once we really get that, what we see is uh, the world looks a lot less scary. And uh, so that is uh, a lot of what my focus has been over the years on human potential and applying that in society uh, to the world that we find ourselves in today. So long answer to a short question, but we, we covered a lot of ground there. I love long answers because it gives me an opportunity to come up with so many more questions and try and figure out which avenue to go down. One question that I did have, though, apart from all the other ones, was you mentioned you got to witness Billy Graham and hmm. him speak to over 70,000 people. One question that I want to ask you is, um, are you a person of faith? Do you believe in, in God at all? And what's your stance on that? Uh, it's a really interesting question because I, in as a fan, uh, the product of the alcoholic family, and, and many of you, I'm just being very honest. You're asking, and I'm, I'm I don't talk about this a lot, but you've asked, so I'm happy to answer. One of the hallmarks of a dysfunctional alcoholic family is is tremendous criticism and uh, the the lack of a spiritual connection to anything. So I was not raised in any particular faith. Uh, my explorations as I began studying, uh, well, as a child, I was studying ancient civilizations, ancient technologies and books. And the, the moment I had the money uh, to go to some of these places, uh, I began not only to experience the archaeological legacies, but the spiritual traditions of the people. So whether I was with the Bedouins in Egypt, which uh, was my first trip, or it led me into the, the Andes Mountains of, of southern Peru and the, the shamans and the curanderos and the mystics and into the Yucatan of Mexico and the shamans and the healers and into the monks and nuns in Tibet and Nepal and India and all through the American desert southwest and then in Australia into the aboriginal traditions and into Africa. What I found was that our global family has memories and we have stories that help us to embrace what we experience in our lives, hopefully in, in a healthy way. And as different as they all are from one another, there are common threads. And that common thread is that we are the product of an intentional act rather than the result of random mutations and random processes. Mm. Now, as a scientist, I was taught that we are the product, that we live in a dead, inert universe, the product of the Big Bang, that we are the product of lucky biology, and that competition, conflict, and struggle is what has given us the power to prevail over other forms of life. That's my teaching as a geologist. 
what I have to say is that the indigenous wisdom ran counter to that. And then that led me into the science. And I've got to tell you, honest to God, the best science of the modern world has overturned what I was taught when I was in school. The best science of the modern world tells us that we are not the product of evolution as we've been led to believe. So I want to be very, very clear with our, our viewers. I am a geologist. I believe in evolution. It's a fact. I've seen it in the fossil record for many forms of life, plants, animals, insects. That theory breaks down when it comes to humans. And the new DNA science is what's really causing the ripples in the scientific community. Because when we compare our DNA today, we now have the ability to extract the DNA from the fossilized remains of beings that we used to think we descended from. And when we do that and compare our DNA to theirs, we find that we did not descend from those beings, that we appeared on Earth 200,000 years ago. Scientists agree with the date uh, as what are called anatomically modern humans, and we haven't changed. We have not changed in 200,000, physically. We have the same nervous system. We have the same uh, body proportions, same cranial capacity. Uh, I believe that we have evolved consciously. I think consciousness definitely has evolved. But what it says, uh, and when you really get into the, the deep science of the universe itself and our relationship to the universe, the odds of us being the product of a random process are just infinitesimal. Mm -hmm. uh, Sir Fred Hoyle, the British astrophysicist, said the odds of our DNA forming from random processes are the equivalent of a tornado moving through a junkyard and leaving a fully assembled Boeing 747 in its wake. And we know that's not going to happen. So what the, the new science, the bottom line, the new science is telling us that we live in a universe that is alive and conscious. It is not dead and inert, where we would expect to see life in many forms, in many ways, uh, where everything is connected, and that we as physical beings are the product of, and I have to say this as a scientist, we are the product of some form of intervention has happened in the past to bring us to the point that we are today. The mutations in our DNA that give us uh, the, the neocortex that we have and the uh, ability for complex speech and to be, we share 98% of our DNA with a chimpanzee, all right? That's a lot of DNA to share. Why don't chimpanzees sing? As a musician, what, my question when I was a kid, if we're so close to the chimpanzee, why don't we hear a chimpanzee singing Led Zeppelin, Stairway to Heaven? It, it will never happen because we have a unique mutation. And it happened exactly 200,000 years ago when we appeared that links our tongue and our mouth and our brain and our jaws and gives us the ability to sing and, and have complex speech. Another mutation, chromosome number two, is the product of, of a fusion, a fusion of pre-existing chromosomes. And after the fusion happened, the result was tweaked. It was modified to stabilize that result. And that gave us 
the uh, the neocortex, oh, 80% of the neocortex that we have right now, the ability to self-regulate our biology, they all happen at the same time. The, these facts violate Darwin's principles of slow, gradual changes over long periods of time. Or there's another theory in biology called punctuated evolution. These facts also violate the principles of punctuated evolution. So as a scientist, what I have to say is the evidence strongly suggests some kind of intelligent intervention in our past that brings us to where we are today. Now, science aside, personally, uh, as a kid, it never made sense to me intuitively. It simply did not make sense mm -hmm. that we are the product of an accident of biology. And it never made sense that competition should be the fundamental rule of nature. So now the science is telling us it's not that cooperation is the fundamental rule of nature and we are the product of a cooperative process. Mm -hmm. So uh, when you begin putting all that together and the, the stories of our indigenous ancestors, it's not science, but every single indigenous tradition without exception, every indigenous tradition I have ever studied or experienced or lived with or spent time with, every one of them, tells us that we are the product uh, of a, a greater cosmic family and that we simply have forgotten for a number of reasons. Some of them say that the forgetting is intentional so that we can explore a way of being without knowing who we really are. So, and some of them tell us that. Others say that we are living in a dream or the Maya or the illusion. We didn't come from here. We're not going to be here long, but we're learning something while we're here that we're going to need where we, wherever it is that we go. And I'm just going to throw this in because new science in the last eight years, 10 years is now coming up with a new theory of the, the cosmos based upon a digital simulation or a virtual reality saying that we the algorithms are saying more probably than not, we are living in a simulated reality. Now, some people reject that immediately, but the question is, how would you know if you were born here and this is all you know, how would you know? Would you even know if you're in a simulated reality? And then you look at simulations. What is the purpose of a simulation? The purpose is to learn something in a relatively safe environment and to try it again and again and again until you get it right, because that something is what you're going to need when you go wherever you're going. That definition fits the stories of our most ancient and cherished spiritual traditions. And now the science is beginning to validate. And the recent experiments have been done. That's why we are 90% nothing. 90% of us is empty space because we are projections from these these theories and the theories that are now being tested, we're not even here. We're somewhere else projecting into these, into these bodies. So when we ask the questions like you're asking, science is giving us so many new ways to think about ourselves. But I think the bottom line is that we are all here together and that as we embrace the deep truths of our existence, we begin to fear our world less and we begin to work together and love ourselves on a deeper level. 
And in that way, I think that is where we begin learning about the potential, the extraordinary potential that lives within us uh, that we are, are mastering in this lifetime. So again, long answer to a short question. No, no, it's, um, there's a lot to unpack there. One of them, you mentioned the divine matrix. You sort of explained it a little bit about yeah. the simulation factor. Um, but I'm curious, going back to the scientific aspect of our uh, divine being and, and um, advancements in science and evolvement and everything like that. So I guess yeah, you're going to have to bear with me while I, I um, dissect this <laughs> in my brain. But so basically what you're saying is we just appeared over 200,000 years ago, yet we are still evolving from that 200,000 years ago to this day, science is still evolving while we're still evolving. Do you ever think that it'll reach a point where science stops evolving? And how do we know if, if it is still evolving, how do we know what to believe and what not to believe? Sure. Yeah, it's, it's a good question. So science is a way of knowing, and it's a relatively recent way of knowing. What we call the scientific method, Jay, it appeared about 300 years ago during the time of Isaac Newton, when he formulated the laws of physics, uh, is when we say the scientific uh, method began. Now, other people argue and say, you know, there were scientific approaches that were done in the time of the Greeks and the Romans, and, and it's true, but it was formalized and, and structure was given to the scientific method. Science is designed to be constantly updated. It is not a static story. And this, I think, is where the mistake has been made, because we live in a world right now, there's a, there's a battle playing out, multiple battles. There's a battle for our thoughts. And you can see that playing out in mainstream media across every nation. That's not just America or just Australia or just Europe or Africa or China. There's a battle for our thoughts. I, we all know that. There's a battle for our story the way that we've been taught to think about ourselves and the stakes have never been higher mm -hmm. because the way that we think about ourselves determines the policies that we embrace, the laws that we agree to live and abide under. Those are all based upon our story. So all of a sudden you see the battle for our story uh, is front and center. I mean, what could be more important than that right now? So when we talk about that battle, uh, there's a battle for who we are and the way that we think about ourselves. Academia is trying to hang on to what's called the standard model. There's a standard model for the creation of the universe and the creation of humans. We call that the, the Big Bang and we call it um, evolution. The science no longer supports that story. And this is where science is stuck right now. So we. We ask science to tell us who we are. Science is doing a really good job. And there are scientists that don't like the answers. So there's an attempt being made now to cherry pick the answers. And part of that is that science has been hijacked by corporations. They will cherry pick the information that supports their agenda and they'll leave the rest behind. Science has been hijacked by corporations by politics, this certainly is true with the climate change agenda and the climate change conversation. By religion, uh, science has been hijacked by religion. Science has been hijacked by academia. 
And there are universities. I, I'm of the age right now where I have colleagues who have been teaching, they're professors at big universities uh, in Europe and America. They've been teaching 40 to 50 years is how long they've been teaching. And I asked them, why can't you share with your students the new discoveries, the DNA discoveries that overturn the story of evolution as we've come to know it? And what they say to me, they said, Greg, first of all, they say, if, if I were to teach the new discoveries, it would invalidate my 40 or 50 year career as a professor. And I, I said, no, it would not. It would actually show your students how relevant science is because science is made to be constantly updated with new discoveries. It's not static. There, you cannot teach your students the story you learned in the 1950s because new discovery, the technology has given us the ability to look into DNA in a way that we couldn't do in the 50s and 60s, to look into the cosmos with telescopes. We couldn't do that in the 50s and 60s. So, so the science in large part, uh, and it's very common right now, science has been hijacked, corporations, politics, religion, and academia. So there is a battle going on right now for our story, for our thoughts, for our beliefs, for our story. There's actually, it goes even deeper, and, and I don't know how deep we can go into this. There's a battle for our very humanness mm. that's playing out, and most people don't even know about it. There is a thinking and an agenda that's being perpetrated that says that humans are frail, weak, powerless, temporary, and that we need something outside of our bodies, computer chips to replace our neurons, chemicals in our blood, wires under our skin, and to perpetuate our species. But what they fail to say is that all of that external technology mimics what we already do in the cells of our body, except our bodies do it better. Yeah. All of the, the networking is based upon neural networks that, that we, we already do, and we do so much better. Uh, in the interest of time, I'm beating around the bush. I'm just going to say it. The average human is about 50 trillion cells, give or take. Every one of those cells, 0 0.07 volts of electrical potential is in every one of those cells. Small potential, but you take 50 trillion times that 0 0.07, and it's over 350 trillion volts of electrical potential. That's a lot. Every cell in the body functions as a resistor, as a transistor, as a capacitor. Every cell in the body emits photons of light. It receives photons of light. That's information. Every cell in the body, on the external part of the cells, we have receptors that are like antenna receiving information. The genes in our DNA pick up certain wavelengths of light. They are antenna receiving information. And we self, excuse me, we self-regulate all of this soft technology through our thoughts, feelings, emotions, beliefs, breath, and focus. And that is the core of our most ancient and cherished spiritual traditions. And this is what we're coming to terms with now because there is a movement called the transhuman movement that is telling us that our bodies need to be replaced with machines. Here's the problem, and then I'll stop. The problem with that is once we begin to replace our soft technology, our natural neurons, and our 
the, the membranes that allow cell potential, ion potentials across the cells or our crystalline structure of our bones. Once we begin to replace that in one generation, it's the use it or lose it analogy. Pretty soon the next generation, they lose access to those neurons. They lose access to those capabilities. And the point and the whole point of the work that I'm doing right now is I'm not saying it's right, wrong, good or bad. The question is how much of ourselves do we want to give away to technology and how can we answer that until we know who we are? And that's the whole point. We are just beginning to understand what it means to be human and the full extent of what our extraordinary potentials are to self-regulate our biology. COVID-19 has brought this front and center with our immune response. Mm -hmm. That's another conversation, but I'm saying it's up for us all right now. So, uh, so all of this comes into play when we begin talking about the battle for our story and the role of science. We've got to keep science honest if science is going to serve us. And I, I think that is of monumental importance right now. I feel like I could sit here listening to you for hours. <laughs> this is like, this is great stuff. I'm well, like a kid in the candy well, shop. I, I want you to know, we, uh, I have a soft interview next. We can go, let's go to a quarter to the hour. Let's do it. And that will give me time. Uh, it's a pre-recorded interview next. So they're okay if I'm a little bit late. Thank you for that. Um, yeah. Because I'll ask one more question and then we might have to continue this conversation a bit later. So having said all this, um, how we're being hijacked, human potential and everything like that. Do you believe then that science is being hijacked by the matrix, so to speak? Well, there, who is the matrix? Exactly. So there is an emerging theory, uh, an emerging philosophy in science. And let me, I'll share the philosophy and then we'll flesh it out quickly. There's an emerging philosophy that consciousness informs itself through its creations. What that suggests is that the things that we make around us, our art, our music, the songs we write, the books we create, the sculptures that we make, the dances that we do, the movies that are created in Hollywood or wherever else it is they're being made, that all of those, they may be diversions and they can be entertainment, but they may be much more. They may be us collectively, because where do the ideas, you said the matrix, where did the idea for the matrix movie even come from? Exactly. Where did that come from? This philosophy suggests that it comes from an and avatar and uh, arrival and all of the other, I mean, Inception, I mean, a lot of really interesting movies out there, all of the Avengers series, Wonder Woman, they are being created because consciousness is channeling information into those venues to create something to remind us of something about ourselves. So the movie, The Matrix, was all, I mean, it was entertainment, but it was all about a world that we cannot see that influences a world we can see. We now know that world exists. There is a field that underlies all of existence. We are active in that field, consciously or not. Uh, Avatar was all about our relationship to the, the natural world, to nature, to our environment. Inception was about our relationship to dreams and dreams within dreams, where in the movie, 
entire business deals were made in the dream state Mm -hmm. that were simply rubber stamped in a boardroom in what we call the waking state. Uh, You know, Wonder Woman and the Avengers, all the young people are drawn to these because it touches something in them that says there's more as a young person watching Wonder Woman. What that says is there's more to me than I've been led to believe, even though they don't teach it in school. And my mom and dad may not tell me this movie is awakening something in me. And that's why these are are so powerful. So when you ask about the matrix, the matrix is consciousness. And I believe that we are constantly inviting ourselves to become the best versions of ourselves. And we are constantly reminding ourselves of our potential. If we have the wisdom to recognize what our creations are saying to us. And I think that is um, coming to the forefront, perhaps more than ever right now. If you begin, this is a fun little exercise. Flip through Netflix or Amazon Prime movies. And yeah, they're all cool movies. But what are the themes? What are the overriding themes about love? Self-love, honor and respecting one another in, in our relationships, uh, the forces of dark and light, good and evil. I, I mean, that's the oldest, you know, the oldest battle that, that we know of. And our potential to transcend whatever it is that the universe brings to our doorstep, to transcend the darkness, to transcend the evil, to triumph. And I think this is us asking ourselves to remember that this is who we are. really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guests today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 